TCU fires the defensive coordinator and hires another. What does it mean that Joe Gillespie is out the door and Andy Avalos is in? Plus, Sonny and his staff are getting active in the transfer portal. We'll touch on that. We break all of it down on this episode of Frogs Insider. Welcome to Frogs Insider. Jamie Plunkett here with Melissa Trebowasser. As always, this is uh, Melissa, somewhat of a breaking news episode here after yeah. a, a pretty crazy 36 hours in the life of TCU football starting, I guess, on Sunday morning. Um, so we'll dive into that and dive into what led uh, to Sonny Dykes parting ways with his defensive coordinator, Joe Gillespie. And we'll start to take a look at the new man in charge of TCU's defense, former Boise State head coach Andy Avalos. But first, just a touch of podcast business here. If you're listening for the first time, you should know that we are the official TCU podcast for the Republic of Football Network, part of Dave Campbell's Texas Football. Very thankful uh, to be a part of that incredible team over there at DCTF. Um, If you are curious, you can search Republic of Football anywhere you get your podcasts and you'll find our feed along with shows for every other Division I football uh, program in the state of Texas. Um, if you're looking for TCU specific content only, you can also search Frogs Insider wherever you get your podcasts, and that feed will be there as well. Also, a big thank you to our show sponsors, Hell's Hat Baker Stadium Goods and Homefield Apparel. We'll talk more about them as we get into the show as well, but we're very, very thankful for their partnership. Okay, Melissa. I think that's the fastest I've ever done podcast business. Yeah, so. there's there's a lot of things we want to talk about. There, there's some other we we love our sponsors, but there's some other things that might have PCU fans' interest peaked here I, today. I think so. Yeah, I think so. Uh, we learned on Sunday afternoon that TCU was not going to retain its defensive coordinator Joe Gillespie. Uh, that they were in fact parting ways, and this has been a, a point of conversation for TCU's fan base, I suppose, since even before the Oklahoma game to end the regular season, right, mm-hmm. right there on that Friday after Thanksgiving, but ramped up pretty quickly in the off season after, after TCU's defense allowed 62 points in the season finale um, to the Sooners. And Melissa, I guess the question that everybody's trying to figure out now is why the timing on this, if it was something that was going to happen, why wait this far into the off season to pull the trigger. And I think that's even more interesting now that we know who they've chosen, right? Because Andy Avalos is a guy who's been available for the last several weeks after being fired mid-season by uh, Boise State um, and and uh, kind of unceremoniously given the boot due to some not only issues with the program, but potentially issues in the locker room, um, you know, just kind of uh, was, was he well-liked by the players? Was, it, was there a great chemistry going on there maybe not um we don't obviously know all the details about that but yeah when when you look at the fact that you're hiring a guy who was fired in in what like october early november i think and you and you wait you know until well after after we started hearing rumblings that there could be upcoming staff changes almost immediately after the oklahoma game um you wait a full two weeks uh more than two weeks really to make this decision, despite the fact that the guy who was apparently their number one candidate has been available. Um, it, it definitely leads you to question some things. Now there could be some things contractually, maybe that, that needed to be worked out. There could be some things financially um, on TCU's end that needed to be worked out. Um, 
you know, you're hiring a guy who spent time as a big uh, power five coordinator and also as a head coach, uh, trying to work out the numbers when you're having to pay a, a severance for, for another guy that you fired, uh, nothing in the Jimbo Fisher range, but, but I'm still, I'm sure that Joe Gillespie's owed a pretty big hunk of money. Uh, it definitely raises some questions and I'll be interested the next time that we get an opportunity to speak with Sonny Dykes, if he's willing to kind of address some of the timing questions, you send him out recruiting, you get some defensive commits and now your DC is gone. Um, I, 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 you might know more about what happened behind the scenes, but I, I certainly raises some questions for me. It does raise some questions, and I think reasonable ones that are being asked. Uh, before I dive into kind of what I've been hearing on that front, I do want to step back and just say, you know, from a from a numbers standpoint, there's a lot of reason that this decision makes sense, uh, and it has nothing to do with Joe Gillespie's character or the type of guy he is. Uh, I have really enjoyed getting to know. Uh, Joe Gillespie over the last couple of years he's always been incredibly gracious with his time always been incredible about answering questions and and providing insight into kind of his philosophy about his defense and um, I know that he was incredibly incredibly well liked Mm -hmm. by the rest of the TCU staff and by the players and so there was never any kind of semblance and I know message board rumors can get out of control and people can kind of uh, impose their own feelings about a situation on uh, players and on other coaches and assume that everybody feels the same way. Um, but Joe Gillespie was loved in that locker room. Yeah. Um, and, and respected. And well respected by the coaching staff and thing. by the players. And so I think when we start to talk about timing, I wonder if that maybe played into it a little bit um, to say, gosh, it's harder. It's, it's really tough to part ways with a guy that you respect a tremendous amount and really, really enjoy uh, their company and have a good relationship with. And so I'm wondering if maybe that was one of the challenges for Sonny Dykes in this, in this process, but pulling back 10,000 foot level, the the reality of the situation is that the defense simply wasn't good enough the last two years. Uh, And in 2022, TCU had the benefit of some really veteran talent that's now playing on Sundays that masked a lot of those issues. Dylan Horton on the line, D winners at the linebacker spot, Travis Hodges Tomlinson at cornerback, all were capable of doing certain things within this system that maybe masked some of the deficiencies that we really saw come to the forefront in 2023. And that bore out in the numbers, right? We're talking about 77th in defensive EPA this season, uh, 66th in the country in red down conversions allowed. 78th in scoring defense, 95th in red zone defense. They were allowing points put on the board over 86% of the time that the opponent got into the red zone. And so there were just significant things about this defense from a number standpoint that weren't good enough. And when you talk about giving up 62 points to Oklahoma in the season finale this year, giving up 65 to Georgia in the national championship the year prior, giving up 45 to a Colorado offense that fizzled out as the season progressed, giving up over 40 points to Kansas state, you know, just the consistent trouble that this defense has, has had the consistent challenge of just giving up way too many points. Um, you get two years into it and, you know, you, you realize that, regardless of the likability of this guy, it was probably time for a change. Yeah. And I mean, this defense struggled in, in 2022. The difference was, is they were so good at getting timely turnovers. And, and we've heard it said a hundred times that turnovers are part preparation, part skill, but there's also a lot of luck involved too. You know, a ball gets mm-hmm. deflected at the line of scrimmage and it, you have a guy that just happens to be in the right place or maybe missed an assignment. And so he's a little bit late. 
Um, and, and TCU just got timely turnover after timely turnover that did not happen in 2023. Uh, you know, but it, but it's also, you know, you're going from having the same coach in place for a quarter century that ran one type of system, you're changing systems com- to a completely different system. And you, you wonder if two years is really enough time to bring in and develop the talent in order to execute that vision. Um, and, and one of my concerns with letting Joe Gillespie go two years into this is, now you're changing again. And I know you've got on the run sheet. We're going to talk more about what Andy Avalos runs um, and, and how there won't have to be a, this is not a complete total overhaul. Um, Joe Gillespie did not get a lot of leash, but, and and I, I wonder if TCU had been maybe seven and six or eight and, and five a year ago and six and six this year going to a bowl game, if this change gets made, or if reaching the mountaintop and getting to a national championship game losing the way that they lost and then losing the finale of this season, the way that they did kind of made it so that Sonny Dyke started to feel the pressure. Uh, His seat isn't hot, but it wasn't far from getting just a teensy, teensy bit warm. And I think that he doesn't have a whole lot of room for error. Um, You know, if you look at the last 13 games that this team has played, uh, there has not been a lot of encouraging signs that they're going to improve. I mean, you could at least kind of hang some hats on the wall last year with their performance against Texas. Um, You know, the way that they battled against Michigan and and that game, um, there hasn't been a game where you've looked at it and said, okay, I can see this group starting to turn the corner this year. And I think that, you know, the complaint of a lot of TCU fans was not only were they not getting better, but the style of play was so passive. And, you know, there's screenshots all over the internet of thirds and twos and fourth and two and fourth and four and guys are, are lined up 10 12 14 yards off the line of scrimmage in those situations and we saw those we saw TCU give up big third and longs and and consistently give up fourth downs um, because they just didn't look prepared for what was coming and and I think that's kind of what pressured Sonny Dykes into making making a a decision and like you said a, a very difficult decision for him because of what a great human being Joe Gillespie is and how well liked and and respected he is um, at, at, around TCU, not just TCU football, but around TCU as a whole. And when you combine, you, you mentioned pressure. Uh, that was something that TCU's defense didn't get a lot yeah. of, too, uh, when we start to talk about that side of the football. And when you combine the passive style of playing in the secondary with the fact that quarterbacks had six, seven, eight seconds to throw the football, that's really not a good recipe for success. Um from a defensive standpoint and and so the challenge now is how do you move forward with the personnel that you have been recruiting for the 335 and try to fit some of these puzzle pieces together for what Andy Avalos has to uh has to do I think pretty quickly here at TCU which is turn yeah. around turn around the defense uh in a pretty dramatic manner um like you said we're going to get into that uh, in just a moment here to talk about uh, what Avalos brings to the table, but to kind of just put a bow, put a bow on the Joe Gillespie era. I think one of the big challenges in this industry, like I said earlier, is what happens when you have to fire a friend. And, yeah. uh, and I think that Sonny Dykes encountered that. Um, but it, it's also important to note that he's not a stranger to changing defensive coordinators. This is something that he's done multiple times in his career. He had to do it twice in four years at Cal, he did it once at SMU as well. Um, and so he has shown now uh, a tendency to to expect a lot from coordinators on that side of the football and um, really 
decide that if it's time to make a move, it's time to make a move, which I guess for me adds a layer of not confidence, I guess, but just, uh, you know, this is, this is uh, another signal that I think Sunday, Sunny Dykes understands kind of the, the, the full context of the situation that he's currently in and that, you know, they're, they're, 2022 built a lot of goodwill, but that's too, that's, and that's a full season ago now. And uh, you can't live off goodwill forever. You've got to continue to produce results. It is a results oriented business. And, and, and you raise the bar really damn high for yourself. Yeah. I mean, you, you like, it's like when you try to get a football stuck out of the tree and so you throw your shoe at it and then the shoe gets stuck up there. You're like, okay, well, now we've got another thing to go up and get down. It's like he got all of the stuff stuck up as high as he possibly could. Um, and now TCU fans are expecting, uh, you know, some incredible stuff every single year. Yeah. Um, and, and so we can, and we've talked uh, this season to you a little bit about scheme versus personnel versus coaching and what is kind of the real, um, driving force behind the success or lack thereof, uh, of a football team. And, uh, I think when you start to think about TCU's defense for the last two seasons, it's really kind of a combination of both the personnel, like you mentioned, there were some real challenges there, especially on the defensive line, but also uh, a real lack of adjusting and game planning in a different way to put guys in a better position to succeed. You talk about the passiveness of the cornerbacks playing so far off the line. You talk about consistently not getting pressure with three hands down rushers and continuing to just kind of bang your head against that wall. Um, the combination there, I really, I really think just created a situation where there was no viable way forward. And uh, now we get to see what the next guy can do because Joe Gillespie is, is back on the job market again. And I have a feeling he won't be out of a job for long. I think mm-hmm. he'll probably end up back at the, at the G five level with kind of approve it, but you can see, I mean, he's been successful before. He certainly has the ability to be successful again. Um, and he just, like we said, he didn't get a lot of opportunity here because in the new world of college football, you can't afford to wait something out three years. Uh, we talk right. about immediate gratification being a problem with with players and the fact that guys that don't play in year one want to leave. And we've had a couple of those guys do that mm-hmm. at TCU. We don't ever talk about the flip side of that too, of what we expect as a fan base. And again, when you look at, everything that we lost on the defensive side of the ball. You look at not just what those players did on the field, but the way that they were able to coach up young guys. I mean, D Winters was a coach on the field. That guy understood every aspect of every scheme he ever played. And we saw that from day one with him. He's super, mm-hmm. super intelligent player. Um, and, and there are a lot of guys on NFL rosters that, that suited up. Like I said, had it been a more normal type of season for a first year coach in a power five conference, then I don't know that we're having this conversation today. You know, if there had been more of a normal progression, but because they made that run to the national championship, because we could forget, I mean, TC, I, I, I meant to look it up and I, I forgot to do so, but um, their stats were not all that much better in 2022 than they were mm-hmm. in 2023 as, as wholesale defensive stats. When you look at, at all of the, the um, you know, big brain stuff that, that you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast. So it's not like there was a huge difference. There just wasn't any of that juice, right? There was no juice and, and, uh, uh, you know, dudes, right? Like, I think, right. I think that's what, what we were talking about the the group chat earlier. Sometimes you just don't have dudes and TC didn't really have a dude this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that can cover up a lot of, of deficiencies. So had, had they, they performed not that at that much of a lower level in 2023, they just didn't make plays. And 
because of that, they looked really, really bad. You can also point to the amount of missed tackles, which did not happen in 2022. You know, this year was significantly worse. And you can look at the way that they lost some of these games. Um, you know, we we aren't, you see a little bit of talk about the offense and, and that was a struggle as well in some areas as far as efficiency and red zone scoring. But uh, the defense just looked really bad a lot of this season. And so I think Sonny Dykes didn't have much of a choice but to make a big change, um, and this was the easiest, I don't think Sonny was scapegoating Joe Gillespie, but it's the easiest scapegoat when you look at the program and what needs to be different. So now Andy Avalo steps in, and once again, it's a coach with some baggage. I mean, we, we, are, we are just building houses out of all of the, the baggage that these coordinator hires that Sonny Dykes is, is making here. Uh, they're, they're, it really makes you think about where we are in the pecking order here, but um, you know, it, it's a guy that has had success at the power five level as a defensive coordinator that has head coaching experience um, that has, has been able to take high level talent and turn it into an elite defense and has been able to take mid-level talent and be successful with it. And so the opportunity is there, but you have to think that if this defense doesn't improve significantly year over year, and if this offense doesn't get significantly more efficient in 2024, that that Sonny Dykes is going to start feeling it from the outside. So I, I think this was kind of a, a CYA, and uh, we want to be competitive in the new Big 12, uh, something that TC should absolutely be. Yeah, there's no doubt that TCU should be one of the top dogs in the new Big 12. That that I think is an expectation not only of of Sonny Dykes but of Jeremiah Tanati and and the the administration of TCU I think expects to be competitive and at the top of the conference not just in football but across across the board really in all sports. Yeah. Um and uh we uh, yeah, so let's let's shift I guess and go and go into Avalos a little bit here because uh Sonny did not wait long to make a hire after um dismissing joe gillespie and i do like that he seems to have his ducks in a row in that regard because the last thing you want this time of year is an open coordinator position hanging around your neck kind of weighing you down especially when it comes to recruiting and recruiting in the transfer portal specifically Uh, when you're when you're a roster like tcu's roster is currently constructed right now and you know that you're undergoing a little bit of a scheme shift not on not just on defense now, but also on the offensive side of the ball yeah. still trying to figure out how to, how to get some guys in to best fit into Kendall Brown's scheme offensively. Um, it, it's really easy for opponents to recruit against you by saying, do you really want to go there? They don't even have a defensive coordinator right now. Yeah. And, and so I appreciate uh, the way that the process went down f- simply from the perspective of there was less than 24 hours, almost less than 12 hours out there where TCU was without a defensive coordinator. And so from that organizational standpoint, I think Sonny Dykes did a really, a really good job. Um, but yeah, let's talk about Andy Avalos here a little bit, because as uh, we all know now, every TCU fan who's, who's been reading about this all day, whether it's at Horn Frog Blitz or somewhere else, um, former Boise State head coach Andy Avalos is now TCU's defensive coordinator. He was dismissed in November this year while the Broncos had a 5-5 five and five record um, they obviously, after his dismissal, went on to uh, get on a little bit of a hot streak and ended up winning the Mountain West. They beat UNLV in a, in a pretty, pretty exciting uh, Mountain West yeah. Conference Championship game uh, last weekend or two weekends ago now, I suppose. Um, but let's uh, let's start here because uh, a little bit about his resume. Yeah, obviously Boise State head coach for the last two plus years. 
He was also the defensive coordinator at Oregon for two years prior to that. Uh, from 19, uh, 2019 to 2020, he was the Oregon DC. Uh, and prior to that, he was the Boise State defensive coordinator for three years from 2016 to 2018. So uh, a, lot of, a lot of experience as a defensive coordinator. He's got power five coordinator experience, a little bit of head coaching experience as well. Um, and the reality is, is that he's put together really good defenses everywhere that he has been. All of his defenses pretty much across the board starting in 2016 have been in the S&P plus top 30 or top 35, uh, which is kind of where I think a, a defense for TCU needs to be when you think about uh, an offensive head coach who's going to focus all of his attention on that side of the ball. And that is naturally then going to kind of be the driving force behind your team. You're going to kind of be considered more of an offensive team. Having a defense that at least stacks up in the top 30 or 35, I think is a really, really valuable piece to have um, to that whole kind of overall program puzzle. Um, So Avalos, uh, there were a lot of, lot of questions on Twitter, a lot of texts that I got today. We had the conversation in the group chat as well about, um, you know, what scheme does Andy Avalos run? Is it the three three five? Is it the four two five? It's not really a specific kind of traditional scheme that Andy Avalos runs. He's much more multiple than that. Um, so uh, to kind of break it down, one of the things that I think people will start to notice right out of the gate with an Andy Avalos defense is that he does use four down linemen quite a bit. And if he's going with three down linemen, which he does often, you're typically going to have some sort of hybrid linebacker defensive end standing up along the edge of the defensive line as well. He likes to call that his stud linebacker. It's this hybrid position that is really, really good at pass rushing uh, and is also capable at times of dropping into coverage uh, and covering out in the flat, but really is designed more as like a stand up on the edge of the line pass rusher. Um, a little, a little uh, maybe a mic up. Parsons, little little Michael Parsons esque, yeah. This kind of this guy is going to kind of move around a little bit more of a rover. Um, I could see like a Johnny Hodges doing some some really fun work in this role. But if you want to think of a guy who maybe in TCU's lore would fit into this position, think of Ty Summers, a guy who played a lot of linebacker, played a little bit of defensive end as well. Um, Excellent at pass rushing, excellent against the run. That's the kind of guy that's this hybrid kind of defensive end edge player uh, that that Avalos likes to, to go to when he's got three down linemen. Another uh, position that I think is really important is another kind of hybrid that he likes to call the spur. The spur hybrid position is another linebacker position, but it's not a hybrid defensive end line uh, defensive end position. It's a hybrid linebacker defensive back position. So it's one of those guys who maybe plays more of a traditional linebacker role when you've got four down linemen, but when you've got, or when you've got three down linemen, but when you've got four down linemen, he's a guy who can kind of range a little bit more. He's a little bit better in coverage. Think Namdi Obi Azor for TCU this year, guy who converted down to linebacker from safety. So there are some opportunities I think for him to be able to mix and match personnel specifically at the linebacker position because of how he schemes these multiple fronts, whether he's going with four down linemen or three um, to where we may not see as significant of an adjustment period time for folks on that front seven or that folks on that front six, just because, 
hey, this is kind of your read. This is your call. This is what your expectation is over here. Um, the question will be personnel along the defensive line yeah. because you shifted away from the traditional four down front uh, that Gary Patterson worked with for so long to a three down front where you needed beefy boys all across the line and you went away from the kind of the traditional edge rusher. So there's a gap, I think, in TCU's recruiting that needs to be filled this offseason. The last thing I want to say defensively before we kind of move on here is that when you think about Andy Avalos in the secondary, single high coverage safety, a lot of man on the corner spots, a safety that will typically kind of drop down into the box and help with the run, help with some crossing routes, stuff like that. Uh, so we're going to see a lot of single high safety from the Sandy Avalos defense as well, which puts a little bit of stress on your corners, puts a little bit of stress on your coverage safety as well. We know how TCU was in coverage this year, so there's maybe an opportunity for some growth from some guys, but it's probably going to be something that we also see uh, tested quite early in the Andy Avalos era as well. Yeah, you know, it feels like there are some similarities to a Gary Patterson defense as far mm -hmm. as the the responsibilities for the corners, um, the kind of those hybrid type players. That, I mean, they had a more defined role, but you would see a lot more blitzing coming from like non-traditional spots. I feel like with Gary yep. when he was at his most aggressive, it's probably a more aggressive version. Um, the thing that makes this super, super interesting a is yes, like the, the there's going to have to be some adjustment in the talent. They're going to have to do some shopping in the portal, and they're going to have to grow some guys up quickly. Um, but if they can put more pressure on the quarterback, which TCU has very much struggled with the last handful of years, then you can save your corners from being out on an island too long. You're also kind of doing this in a good time in the Big 12 when you look at how many um, teams will be replacing a lot of talent at the quarterback position next year. So there's not a ton of veteran um, experience coming back um, at quarterback and in 2024 and so you hope that you know with the early schedule uh, maybe it's a little bit on the softer side that by the time you start getting into kind of the meat of the the conference schedule that maybe guys will figure things out but I don't think we I don't think we should expect you know this this to be a top 30 defense in 2024 I think if you can see step-by-step -step improvement and then see development so that you know by 2025 is when you'd, you'd want to field a defense that that could be a, a one of the top three or so at the conference, I think is a reasonable expectation, but it's going to certainly take time and they're mm -hmm. going to give up big plays, you know, right. Yep. Like they're going to give up big plays. It, there is going to be some, some hit and miss there. So I, you know, I, I think that, that what TCU fans want to see is making things hard on, on the offense. And it just has felt like the last couple of years, there just hasn't been a lot of quarterback pressure. There haven't been a lot of guys taking, taking people down in the backfield. There hasn't been a lot of aggression and taking chances. And it doesn't seem like that's going to be the case with, with Andy Avalos. And so at least from that standpoint, I think it's an exciting change and that it will feel a lot different on game day. Okay. I'm going to ask you, Jamie, you may not have an answer, but I keep seeing this brought up all over Twitter, all over the board. You describe those hybrid positions, and there's a guy that comes to mind that was on TCU's roster that is still on TCU's roster technically. Oh, God, I know what you're going to ask. Yeah, and I feel like I have to because I've not seen this addressed anywhere. I've seen it asked. I've not seen it answered. Is Andy Avalos going to get on the phone with some of these guys in the transfer portal, namely Jonathan Bax, and see if he can convince them to stick around TCU, especially with a guy that's maybe getting a lot of lower-level offers? Okay, uh, first of all, confession time. I did not know that's that's where you were going. I oh, thought you were. You? 
I thought you were going to ask if this is the the defensive coach that can finally unlock Marcel Brooks. Oh no! Um, And so, uh, yeah, I don't know. I I I have no intel on that whatsoever. I'll be completely honest with you. Um, As far as the offers that Jonathan Bax has received, I only know what I've seen from him on Twitter, um, which, like you said, is is seems to be just a handful of G five offers at this point. I think though that. from an Avalos perspective, he's going to take a look at this roster. He probably already has been taking a look at this roster sure. and determine, you know, starting to determine where are the biggest positions of need. I yeah. think one of those primary positions of need is definitely on the edge of the defensive line, which kind of already has started to be addressed before Avalos even got there, which is, uh, you know, Notre Dame transfer Nana Osafo Mensa, who already holds two degrees from Notre Dame, yeah. right? Uh, including kid. a master's degree, is coming down to TCU to get another master's degree. He has got one year of eligibility left. Uh, he's got more skins on the wall at 22 than I will ever have in my entire life, I think. Um, local kid from uh, Nolan Catholic um, was very high on TCU. TCU was hot, yeah. yeah very high on TCU, high and, and TCU liked him a lot out of high school. Uh, ended up going to the Fighting Irish. Can't really blame anybody for that. Um, and is, is going to be a a really productive guy. I think on the defensive line in this kind of scheme where he's got the ability to maybe move inside, uh, when you have two tackles on the field and still be on the field in a, in a three down situation where he's playing more of an edge role, maybe playing off of that stud linebacker hybrid position, uh, so they can create some chaos and make, um, offensive tackles have to make hard decisions. So, um, but yeah, I think, I think there's opportunity maybe to look into the portal and, and really say, all right, here are two or three guys that I think can contribute right away. Um, I think though, that from a larger program perspective, you're seeing right now, the point of emphasis from Sonny Dykes on down with this staff. And that is, we need bodies in the trenches. We need a lot of bodies in the trenches and we need to get them in here now, not just at the transfer portal level but at the high school level as well, Melissa, they have in the last two classes and obviously 2024 hasn't signed yet, but signing day is coming up later this month. They have nine offensive linemen either signed from last year's class or committed in this one from the high school ranks and seven defensive linemen from last year's class and this year's class combined. Plus, I want more. Give them plus all to me. four offensive linemen in the portal now, including Cade Bennett, and um, Carson Bruno, who are portal kids that have committed to TCU Bennett from San Diego State and Bruno from Louisiana Tech and Osafa Mensa from Notre Dame. So uh, there's a very clear um, focus when it comes to recruiting over the last two cycles for Sonny Dykes and his staff. And that is bring me big boys mm-hmm. and let's grow up some big boys. And while those big boys are growing up, let's get some other big boys who are ready to play right now. And I've said big boys way too many times in a short you time span. You could there. not say big boys enough. Um, <laughs> you know, the the key the key with all of that is they've done a great job of the portal. A lot of these guys are one or maybe two years of eligibility. If they can, and this is what's been lacking, what has been lacking over the last several years at TCU, the ability to develop the high school guys you recruit mm-hmm. and get them ready to play. And then in the meantime, patch. But, but ultimately, you would love to see four of those five starters be guys that signed out of high school the hard part now is you can put a year or two in developing them and if they aren't playing they may yeah. leave 
So that's what's going to be interesting because, you know, we know this about offensive lines. The, the lines that usually are the best are the ones that get to play together for two or three years. And yes. so that that's what you hope you develop into. In the meantime, though, I think that Sonny Dykes has obviously identified that TC's biggest weakness has been in the trenches on both sides mm-hmm. of the ball and has done a hell of a job filling those gaps um, on the offensive and defensive yes. side of the ball. Um, it's really, really exciting to, to get some of these guys back into DFW, guys that left, um, you know, to, to try out some of these blue blood programs or to, to try something different. Um, it's, it's also really great to go get proven performers, guys like from San Diego state, Louisiana tech and, and good, you know, lower level programs that have proven themselves on the field. Um, you hope now that, that guys like, um, um, uh, the bear, uh, Colton Deary can mm-hmm. continue to develop, um, and, and that the rest of this line can come together. Um, uh, because last year, I mean, a, a huge part of the, the failures of TCU's, uh, red zone offense was because the offensive line couldn't hold up in, in the run game or in pass protection a lot of the time. And so if you address that problem, your, your offense immediately gets better. If your offense gets better, your defense gets put in less bad positions, defense gets put in less bad positions. You're not firing your defense coordinator. So, you know, I, I think that this all kind of is symbiotic and comes together, obviously. Obviously, um, I, I've been impressed with the work that they've done in the portal, the high school ranks on, on both sides of the line. Now let's see these guys get in there, get get playing together. Let's let's get Kaz back locked in. Um, you know, I, I think we saw a little bit of step back in, in that area of TCU as well this past year. Um, but I think if all the pieces can be moving, you know, in a 12-team playoff next year, you, you want to be in the fight you want to be in the battle you want it to be november and you're still playing for something um there's a huge difference in momentum on recruiting with donor giving with nil with all of those things when you're when you're playing for something that last month of the season and we saw how much uh, that fell off in 2023 and and what a detriment it was to uh the program as a whole and absolutely you're, yeah i think you nailed it there and and uh, just to, to add some context to to the offensive line numbers nine in the last two classes from 2021 and 22's classes, there were a total of six. Yeah. So clearly a change in priority. And the one offensive lineman that was a part of the 2022 class committed to Sonny Dykes. Yeah. After he was named the head coach, like three weeks ahead of the early signing period. So realistically, Sonny's recruited 10 offensive linemen over the last three recruiting classes, just from the high school ranks. And, and I think the prioritization of that is really important, especially when you start to talk about the fact that TCU is never going to be, or I don't want to speak in absolutes. TCU is not right now a place that can consistently depend on four and five star linemen to come in and make an impact like in their freshman or sophomore years. Freshman offensive linemen rarely make impacts anyways. Um, And so from a TCU perspective, it's better if you know that you're not going to always consistently land all of the blue chip linemen that you would want to in an ideal world to get a little bit more volume in here yeah. and say, let's, let's get a, a, a good amount of volume and then really, really pour all of our development strategies into these guys and see who starts to rise to the top of the competition. Um, so I, I love the strategy that we're seeing from, from an offensive line recruiting standpoint. I think we're going to start to see more of that on the defensive line as well. Mm-hmm. Um, which is going to be critically important. And then you just kind of pray the single high safeties hold up in the back end and that the pressure generated gets there um, to just disrupt the quarterback enough of the time. I will say this though, kind of as a final note, I would much rather see a team get beat deep while they're sending five or six than see a team get beat deep when they're dropping eight. 
That's well, just a personal I, preference. I agree with you. And the other thing that I will add too is the one thing we have seen TC be able to consistently re- do is recruit four star talent at the defensive back position. Yep. So yep. you can you can bring those guys in, recruit the the you know uh, high floor, high ceiling guys that are the three star guys for the lines. Pack them away, let them develop. You've got Ricker, who's a great offensive line coach. Um, you, you've got great talent around um, Avalos on the defensive staff. They were able to hold on to everybody else. Mm-hmm. Develop those guys that maybe are a little bit under-recruited. Let them sit and marinate for a year. Patch with the paddle, with the with the portal. And then in a year or two, hopefully, two or three years, maybe, you're hopefully just kind of in a, in a cycle that works for TCU. So um, yep. overall, great thing. Um as we kind of transition here, before we we talk a little bit more about some of our sponsors, the one thing I do want to ask you, I, we talked a little bit about this offline. The one thing that we have concerns that we talked, you know, we just kind of touched on it. I don't think we need to necessarily rehash what went down at Boise. We don't know. It's mm-hmm. he said, he said kind of in there. But but the one thing that I have some concerns about is you're bringing in a guy with no real Texas ties, no real Southern ties where you yeah. do the bulk of your recruiting. And I think it's going to be really easy for other Big 12 programs and the, the now the SEC and the ACC program in the state of Texas to negatively recruit against TCU by saying, Hey, do you really want to go play for a guy that, that essentially got fired because his players didn't like him? What, and with, with Avalos not having any real ties or any high school ties, you, you brought up the great point of there's so many other guys on the staff that have so mm-hmm. many wonderful connections that might be able to undo that. Is that something that we should be worried about at all? Or do you think that's going to be a non-issue, especially maybe if TCU is able to get uh, Eric McAllister to come regardless of this hire? Yeah, yeah, we can talk about McAllister in a second too. I, you know, I think the biggest thing for TCU that they're going to hype up is, hey, the two years that um, Avalos was the defensive coordinator at Oregon, they they won the conference, right? And they did it. Yes, Justin Herbert was a big part of that. Also, they had arguably the best defense in the conference both of those years. He has, you know, uh, I mean, he put Leighton Vanderesh in the NFL from Boise State after he won Mountain Mountain West Player the uh, Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, his senior year at Boise State, Avalos was the linebacker coach and defensive coordinator there at that time. Um, you know, I think I think what they'll rely on is the fact that he has a proven track record of coaching guys into the league, and that translates regardless of where you are in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and it will translate, I think, really well in a state that is as talent rich as Texas. And then you've got Paul Gonzalez, who's been in Texas for the majority of these kids' lifetime. Right. He has a, he has excellent contacts across the state. He's staying here as as the safeties coach. You've got Carlton Buckles, who has a lot of Texas ties as well, not only from his time here for the last two years, but also from his time at Baylor. Obviously, he recruited a lot at, at uh, out of the state of Texas when he was at Tulsa with Joe Gillespie as well. You've got James McFarland on the offensive line who uh, or on the defensive line who also has a ton of um, contacts. Sorry, I said James McFarland, which is the old TCU defensive end. And I do that all the time. Jamarcus McFarland, TCU's defensive line coach, who also has incredible ties in the state. And so there is, not to mention your head coach is like, his last name is is Dykes and we're in the state of Texas. And so the Texas connection box, I think is sufficiently checked for TCU. Um, What I think this does give you an opportunity to do, though, is maybe reach into some of those pockets in the Pacific Northwest, reach into some of those pockets in California, especially with the Pac-12 going away and saying, you know, a lot of a lot of these kids want to come west anyways 
to maybe play SEC ball. Well, why go all the way there when you can still live in a major metropolitan area, play in a state that is football crazy, play for a, a big program on Saturday nights in a packed stadium? I think the selling point for TCU is still there regardless of Avalos's Texas ties, but I, I wouldn't I, – schools will find any way to negative recruit anyone at this point. So yeah. I, I'm certain that someone somewhere will bring it up. I personally don't see it as having a major impact at this point, though. And I think I hope that's the case. I think you make some great points on on how they'll be able to to contradict that. Um, I, I would imagine that it won't take long for him to win people over if TCU is successful in twenty twenty three, right, or twenty twenty four, right? Like that's yeah. ultimately if he's developing guys, guys are getting to the pros, numbers are improving, people will buy in. Um, you know who else's numbers are improving right now? Tell me. Your numbers, if you're a consumer of home field apparel, because mm-hmm. home field apparel is not only purveyors of some of the softest t-shirts, hoodies, joggers, et cetera, et cetera, uh, your big sky hoodie that you're rocking today. Check it out on doing, the YouTube channel. They are doing an amazing 12 days of Christmas sale. So mm-hmm. yesterday was the the mystery fleece. They've done some I mystery shirt. You did it. You bought I did the mystery fleece. The hoodie. Will you right, do so an look, unboxing live on the pod? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. I will also unbox because... Um, we both did our traditional Thanksgiving Black Friday promo with Homefield Apparel, yeah. and they're very gracious in what they give to us as being a part of that promotion. And so I have a handful of things on the way from Homefield Apparel currently, and I will gladly unbox all of it. I can tell you right now that I think only one piece of the five or six is going to be TCU related mm. because they've got some excellent non TCU stuff. I am terrified though. So I did the, I did the hoodie. Yeah. Right. The, the mystery fleece, because I will say hoodies on home field, 72 bucks. Pricey. A cha- pricey right. Quality. Y'all know I'm wearing this big sky hoodie out. I'm getting my money's worth, but the mystery fleece was 40 bucks. Yeah. And so I had jumped on that and thought to myself, as long as it's not Baylor, you're good. Texas Tech. Yeah. Anything else? I'm going to, I'm going to well, wear like, that hoodie out. If it's Texas Tech, you can give it to the wife. Yeah. It's an extra large. So it's going to, it's going to be a little big on her. Okay. But that's the yeah, style she can, these days. She can yeah. rock the, she can rock the oversized Texas Tech hoodie. Yeah. If that's a, that, that's what ends up coming. But yeah, yeah. I, I just, you know, we, we've talked about it before. We talk about it consistently. You see us in home field apparel very regularly. We're not in home field apparel. We're often in uh, uh, Hills Half Acre apparel. I'm still in work clothes today because I had a piece of metal in my tire that set my whole day off. But uh, you could say 15% off of home field apparel goods, frogs in 15, frogs IN15. Uh, but check out their 12 days of Christmas sale. Uh, something something new is popping up. Uh, Hills Half Acre's done some great sales as well. Mm-hmm. Support the folks that support us. It means it means a lot to us. Um, it also, Jamie, means a lot to us um, when we get lots of good news. And after a rough uh, 24 hours of of losing a defensive coordinator, hiring a defensive coordinator. Uh, we've mentioned this, we've kind of touched on it, but you want to give us a quick rundown on the guys that have committed to TC both out of the portal and out of the high school ranks um, because yes. it has been hot fire coming down the chute here Molten, the last like 48 hours. Molten liquid hot lava flames from TCU's recruiting on the recruiting trail on a Monday, right? Like, oh my gosh. Uh, I was no Garfield today. I'll say that. I loved Monday today. Um, All right. So let's start with the high school commit that came in on Monday. Caden McFadden, formerly a Duke commit, 
decommitted from the Blue Devils when Mike Elko left to take the head coaching job at Texas A&M. Had a good relationship with TCU safety's coach, Paul Gonzalez. Uh, Who McFadden, doesn't? Because he's right, the best. I, I love, God, I love Paul Gonzalez Paul's so much. the best. Um, McFadden's Davis. from Texarkana. Yeah, you, y'all have the Davis connection, right? Um, McFadden's from Texarkana, had maintained a relationship with Gonzalez and with the TCU staff. And when he decommitted, TCU jumped on the opportunity to get him in for a visit. He was in for a visit this weekend and ended up committing. So he is the 21st, I believe, high school commit to the CCU class. Um, might be 20th. I think there's a Juco kid in there. I couldn't tell you right now, which bumps them up to the 29th overall class for the 2024 cycle. Not quite where it was last year, TCU's highest rated class of all time at 21, but still I think a respectable recruiting class, Mm -hmm. especially for all the the wailing and gnashing of teeth that we've heard from TCU fans about recruiting so far this year. So really, really doing well there. Um, And then in the portal, we already mentioned a couple of these guys. Uh, Carson Bruno has been committed. Nana Osafomensa has been committed. Um, Today they added two more, the interior offensive lineman, Cade Bennett. He's got two years of eligibility left. He had an 83.3 pass blocking grade on PFF last year, which would have been the highest on TCU's roster. Obviously, it's not exactly apples to apples, but this is a guy who is used to doing a lot of things that TCU needs their offensive linemen to do really, really well. Pulling, a lot of zone blocking, um, a lot of rules-based blocking, if-then blocking, which uh, is what Ricker is scheming up in this new Kendall Bryles offense. So he's a great addition. He would have had the fourth highest run blocking grade on TCU's roster last year as well. Guy's got over 1,700 career snaps at the college level. Big-time addition for the Frogs. A lot of schools were after him, including his hometown team, Arizona State, who he took an official visit on after he visited TCU and still decided I'm going to go to the Horn Frogs. Which people need to remember, we lost a couple of guys, Rashad Samples mm-hmm. and Brian Carrington, and they've been cleaning up. They've been doing a hell of a job, but that's a huge one for, for TCU yeah. to be able to outsell that program when he went to them second. Like that's a big, big deal. That's a big yeah. win for TCU. Big time win. Those. Big time win for TCU. Very, very excited about that. And then the other guy that they got today is another kid similar to Nana Osafa Mensa, who had TCU in his list as a high schooler, TCU had a hat on the table during this kid's commitment. He ended up going to Notre Dame. Can't blame a kid for not liking South Bend a ton. Very cold in South Bend. <laughs> and also not Very a great cold. city. Incredible university. Not a city. Not a great city. Not a great town. It's a even. college town. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. But not a very good one. Um, Braylon James, a four-star wide receiver out of high school, has decided to come back towards his home as well. Braylon, obviously, from um, Round Rock, so a little bit further away than Nolan Catholic for Nana, but uh, still close enough for uh, him to decide that TCU is where he wants to spend the rest of his college career. And he was a part of last year's recruiting class. So he is coming in just as a, uh, after one year of college, he's still got a lot of eligibility and just kind of revisiting his rankings. He was, according to 24-7 Sports, the number 20 overall wide receiver in the class, number 24 player in the state of Texas. So you think about losing a guy like Cordell Russell, to the portal who was similarly rated and then bringing in a guy like Braylon James. Yeah. It's six, one way, half a dozen, the other really uh, when you think about uh, what the transfer portal is doing for TCU from the wide receiver position, but ultimately all that to say right now, TCU has the number four rated transfer portal class on 24 seven sports. And that's a good thing. 
and we can celebrate that. Yeah. And and we need to celebrate it because, you know, there were some holes to fill that you didn't want to have to fill all with freshmen and sophomores. And so this is a big deal. I'm really excited about Braylon James. Um, He's a kid that, you know, I I love his honesty and and the way that he he spoke in interviews. He doesn't bash Notre Dame by any stretch of the imagination, but you can tell what he wants to do as a player fits a lot better with what TC is doing on offense. I think he has a chance to be really, really great. Um, I love that with Savion coming back for another year, it appears having a kid that kind of has some of the similar measurables doesn't probably have the bulk that Savion has yet, but um, another big guy that can play multiple positions and do a lot of things on the football field um, that has a, doesn't not going to have a ton of pressure on him in year one, because there are a lot of guys coming back, but has a chance to, to be explosive and to get on the field and to, to do some really big things. TCU cannot get enough big receivers in my opinion. So I, I think he's a great, he's a great fit in this offense and, and has a chance to do some really, really great things in 2024 and beyond. Absolutely. He does. And uh, before we get out of here, I do want to make sure we mention our other sponsor, Hell's Half Acre Stadium Goods. Very thankful for uh, them. They are a brand that was created by a Horn Frog for Horn Frog fans with Horn Frog fans in mind. Each item sold makes a direct impact on TCU student athletes. Check out all of their TCU gear from polos and shirts to headwear and Home Goods, Health House, Hell's Half Acre Stadium Goods has all the TCU goods you need to get ready for game day. They just dropped uh, some more new merch, some new hats that look awesome. Um, I think you can still get them ordered and get them here in time for Christmas, which at this point in the game is saying a whole lot. So if you're still missing out on one or two gifts for a loved one, go ahead and head over to hellshalfacresg.com and make sure to grab something for TCU game day. And if you could, in the little note box that comes up when you're making your order, just drop in that you heard about them from Frogs today. Um, we want to make sure that they feel uh, appreciated feel love, from yeah. us. Feel the love a little bit. You, you know what else you need to make sure you have under your tree this Christmas if you live in the uh, Fort Worth area? Flying the tea bottle vodka. of flying tea vodka as well. Um, I, I will. Who's be, to say come, that's not what's in my cup right now, who's Melissa? To say uh, when I, when I'm back in February here, I will be I will be picking up a bottle or two of flying tea vodka and supporting um, our folks, our friends over at Flying Tea as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Jamie, after, you know, a tough season and and a tough offseason, start to the offseason, there's some positive momentum for TC football. That's all that we can ask for this time of year. We didn't even get a chance because you've got food in the oven and I've got to go cover a Kings game tonight. But uh, basketball, we've got so much to talk about. We'll touch on them on the next episode. Women's basketball team 10 and 0. Men suffered their first loss playing a ranked opponent um, for the first time this season. But we are just a couple weeks away from Big 12 play. Uh, and I am so nervous and excited for both the men's and the women's Big 12 seasons. Um, there, There's so much to talk about on those. We'll, we'll probably have a very basketball-centric episode, I would imagine. Well, next week will probably be early signing day. The week after, I don't know, something in the time. We can we can knock we'll it all out. Hoops. We don't have a time limit. We'll Norm- I normally don't turn the oven on and put food in before we start yeah. recording these. So that one's on me. That one's kind of on me. But yeah. that'll, that'll we, do, we do have a lot still kind of cooking up here. At some point, I'd like ha, to talk ha, about ha, cooking. I'd like to t- sit down and talk a little bit about my my sit down with, yeah. um, with Kirk, Kirk Sarlos as well. Because sure. baseball's got some really interesting stuff coming up. Um and uh but yeah we're gonna save all of that for the next episode and for now this has been frogs insider thank you thank you thank you for listening like and subscribe wherever you get podcasts hit us up on the youtube channel as well and we will talk to you next time go frogs go frogs